good evening and welcome to the old school this is ross miller along with dr Stephen bourgeois uh this is the old school a podcast on the american education system and all the problems therein and possible solutions and so far as we know the solutions to these problems although i have a feeling we do have a we have a mildly kind of educated guess on how some of these things could be uh solved good evening dr bourgeois Good evening, Mr. Miller. Um, why don't you tell everybody where you are? I know you're dying to tell. <laughs> well, live from Minneapolis. Um, so I am, I, I am in the heart of somewhere or something. And so um, um, I've never been to Minneapolis before. I've been to St. Paul. People might feel slightly incredulous that one would go to one without going to the other. But, you know, short trips, you know, necessitate decisions and the last time minneapolis was not on the list but today it is and so here we are i just drove across north dakota which shockingly the eastern part of north dakota is simply is just as featureless as the western part of north dakota (laughs) Um, but uh still like like with some things, many things, uh, each state has its own charms and North Dakota certainly has theirs. And so, and then getting into Minnesota, we started counting the amount of lakes that we drove past in an attempt to get to 10,000 that failed, uh, as, as you might imagine. And so, uh, so in a, uh, what appears to be a garage attic apartment on Airbnb, meet on Airbnb, not an endorsement, by the way. <laughs> uh, here we are in the great state of Minnesota, the land of ten thousand lakes, the home of spam and pop tarts. You're kidding, really? We're, I, would I kid you about something like that? No, not really. You, you... <laughs> well, I, here, here we are in Minnesota. Okay, and um... have you ever been here? Yeah, I've been there. I mean, I've passed through. I've I've been there. I mean, I was born in Upper Michigan, so we were a stone's throw away. It doesn't always mean that you get to the places that are mere stones throw away, though. No, I I, I can recall being there, but I I was rather young at the time, so I I couldn't say I remember much about uh, Minnesota. Here's the important question. Could you count it on states visited? I mean, yes, you've been here, but you weren't really old enough to remember it. So could you really legitimately count it as a state visited? Well, I mean, that's probably the purpose of your trip is to take out your little book and check off. You know, you probably went through South Dakota, uh, too, and check that off. And I don't know, the ground rules are so are kind of hazy. I mean, we've talked about this uh, offline, and I, I hate to think that you have to give up on everything when you were a kid they're they're off the list suddenly because then you'd have to draw a line in the sand and say well if you're a 12 year old or older you could count the state but if you were five or six or seven it doesn't count i don't i don't hold with that well you don't you can't discount everything but certainly those things that you can't remember that can't count can it um i i think so i think if, if you the one thing that doesn't count um would be airports uh, you can't count the airports. You have to actually be out and breathing the air. I am told that you have to either eat a meal or sleep in the state for it to count. Okay. With that, uh, you know, with those criteria, I would definitely be able to check Minnesota off my list. 
And by the way, while I have checked South Dakota off the list, South Dakota is more than just a check on the list. I mean, that's a very wonderful state, nice people. Uh, same could be said of North Dakota, perhaps lacking in some of the some of the majestic natural beauty that one might find in South Dakota. Nevertheless, an interesting state, great people, great experience. So I, I don't want you to besmirch my visit to South Dakota as mere as a mere perfunctory effort to go to all the states. You know, so so um, as a history teacher, um, are you running into content? I imagine this were during the the school year. I mean, you did this once before when you went to the Winter Olympics. You were doing Mr. Miller remote. Um, would you have enough? I was, I was doing rem- I was doing remote before remote was cool. I was That's doing right. it live from Vancouver. So, and I know the the, the students were waiting with bated breath. Uh, I don't think so. Well, but you did it. You pulled it off. Um, I did. Yes. So, um, is that legitimate for a history teacher to do travels with Mr. Miller? Yeah, I think that's a legitimate kind of a thing. And and certainly if I had had the foresight to the thing about recording some sort of pre-recorded uh, introduction of one thing or another, it certainly would be worth the time to do so. You know, um, as with most of this region, uh, most of this region's history is tied in with Native Americans and European settlers or American settlers interactions therein. Uh, and so um uh, so in, in that sense, a lot, a lot of this, a lot of this region's history is tied to that, and it's a history not a lot of Americans know about. Um, it's like Canada. You know, people have a vague understanding that Canada exists, that it's north of Michigan. Outside of that, I'm not sure how many people really know much about Canada or Mexico, for that matter. So, uh, Native Americans too get a bit of a short shift as far as uh, attention paid to them, um, and this it would have been a great lesson to record a few things here and there. Uh, especially yesterday, I was at the Knife River Indian Village National Historic Site. And that is where uh, that is where you can find uh, the last remnants of the village uh, from which Sacagawea hailed. And so I, I probably walked some of the same steps as Sacagawea, perhaps even Lewis and Clark yesterday. Everybody is speculating on on the steps that they've walked, and there are a lot of average people whose steps you walked in. Also, is that right? Yes, yes. I I, I, I probably stepped in the steps of uh, I don't know the guy who uh, digs ditches. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes, uh, but not unlike uh, past lives. We tend to focus on the famous people, you know. So, uh, so in this case, I will say I stepped in the steps of Sacagawea. So does this change you in any way, um, your impressions uh, you know, of the Dakotas? Suddenly you, you went from that average everyday understanding to something a little bit deeper. Is, is that what you take away from it? I think you, I, I think you have to take that, away, uh, take that away from your travels when you come to the Dakotas. Because I think prior to, I think most people's understanding of the Dakotas is kind of like this this mass of barrenness, you know, Gertrude Stein once said that, uh, that there in the United States, there are more places where no one is than where someone is. And that's what makes America what it is. And when you travel through the Dakotas, you certainly get the, the, uh, uh, the essence of what Stein was talking about. Uh, and, uh, and so, so to that, to, to that degree, 
I think it's worth your time going through because what it does is, is it provides form to your thoughts. Whereas before the Dakotas was kind of this empty set of rectangles, uh, you start to see the form of uh, features and, and landscape and, and agriculture and, and mountains and tourism and cities and people. And it just provides, well, it provides a better understanding of your country. You know, it's, it's not a part of the country that a lot of people pay attention to. Um, and certainly in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most significant portion of the country. But as for that, there's a lot, there's a lot to be taken away from that, that experience of traveling through, driving through rural South Dakota um, or rural North Dakota. Uh, there's a lot to be gained. Well, the history that we learn in, in Texas, I'm, I'm sure you, you've taught it, uh, Texas history. Um, how would you compare Texas history to the history of North Dakota? Because I'm sure they teach it in the schools. Well, I think, I, think what the, I think what the Dakotas lack in comparison to Texas is one, celebrated heroes and films uh, about those celebrated heroes. Um, what you tend to hear about the Dakotas has to do with um, Little Bighorn, um, you know, Custer's Last Stand. Um, and so to that extent, Crazy Horse uh, gets mentioned. But even Crazy Horse, as as well known as he is by the average person, you know, they don't they may not know Jack about any Native American tribe, but they've come across the name Crazy Horse. Uh, but I think. Uh, beyond that, there really is not that significant solidifying figure as there is in Texas. You know, with Texas with the Alamo and and Jim Bowie and and Travis and uh, and uh, uh, Crockett. You know, those individuals they provide their own PR. The Dakotas simply don't have those kind of personas attached to their history, but it doesn't make the history any less in my mind, any less interesting or worthy of knowing. Well, I don't remember learning a lot of Oregon history. You mentioned Lewis and Clark and the Oregon Trail, mm -hmm. but we pretty much were able to say those two things and that satisfied uh, Oregon Pass history. The test. Um, <laughs> I, I guess so. And, and I was probably occupied with other thoughts at that time, but um, they, they do um, teach history a little differently down here. And, uh, my wife, you know, was, was had her formative time in um, North Carolina and that part of the South, and they have a, a whole different approach to history too, as if the the hostilities of the Civil War could break out again at any time. <laughs> well, I think a lot. Of, I think when you look at different states, I think their history is symptomatic of the mindset with which they approached the foundation of their state. You know, Texas was was earned, as it were, if you want to use that term, uh, was earned by the gun and by the bullet. And there certainly is a great deal of mythology wrapped around that. And I use that word mythology purposefully. A myth is something that is not sure that the history that we know is actually the history that happened. Uh, we have general ideas about Texas history, but even with something as not well known as the Alamo has, has gone through a major reevaluation in the last 20, 30 years, thanks to a, 
a diary that was rather uh, fortuitously found in Mexico City back in the early 80s that supposedly came from an officer under Santana. And so, you know, Texas, Texas history has gone through a kind of a reevaluation, but certainly the legacy and the mythology behind Texas history is, is kind of tied into how it was established. So, and, and with the Dakotas, you know, as Native Americans, with Oregon, it too, we you know, with the, what's it, the Klamath Indians, is that right? The Klamath, say it yeah. right? Yes. And the European, meaning the American and British settlements up and down the Columbia River, um, you know, those are the kind of the essence of the foundation of that territory, which included both Oregon and Washington and later split uh, in the subsequent years. But uh, so I, I, I think with a lot of things, so like with education, I think history is sometimes a product of the culture and the quote unquote history from which people in a particular state originate. So when you um, think about a, a student who's been well-educated, gone through your, your sequence of uh, history or social studies courses, uh, are they going to know a lot of these things or, or is it localized to something real specific? Uh, how much scope do they have or breadth, I should say? From a kind of a Texas standpoint, within the framework of, say, AP U.S. history, which is what I primarily teach, uh, they're not going to get a lot. Now, um, you know, there it, within the AP curriculum, there is a small amount of time spent, and I mean a very small amount of time spent on Native American history. And one thing that a lot of teachers do uh, throughout the country is that they will spend and they will concentrate that time on Native Americans from their own particular region. Hmm. So in Texas, whether you're talking about the Comanche, whether you're talking about uh, the Apache, whether you're talking about the Choctaw or the, or the Arapaho or the Creek Indians or what have you, there's a, hand, there's a handful of groups there in the northern part of Texas that can certainly be used to kind of satisfy that Native American uh, component of the curriculum, but then also tie it into something that might be a little bit more interesting, a little bit more connectiveness to the students themselves. And, and probably, the, I mean, in Texas, we have German communities and they, they might draw that out a little bit, you know, maybe. German, Czech, and Mennonites, and, you know, there's so, there's so many kind of cool uh, subgroups. And, of course, that doesn't even account for, you know, Mexicans in the state of Texas, which was not only essential in trying to uh, keep Texas, but was also on the other side of the equation, instrumental in trying to establish a free Texas. And then, of course, the early governments and, and of course, our history in Texas is, is uh is infused with the history of uh, Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, Tejanos, and whatever term you care to use, uh, that's that's kind of walks hand in hand with Texas history. So what's it like traveling with a, a history teacher? Yeah. Uh, Annoying. Like, I mean, do you stop at every historical marker and, and make a speech and then take a walk and read all those things? Here's the problem. <laughs> okay. So a couple of days about, Four or five days ago, I was at Mount Rushmore. I, I sent you a very lovely picture. I, I loved it, and I didn't even make fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to tell my daughter about the history of the four men and the significance of the four men up on the mountain. Now, granted, she's six. But I tried to provide some context. I tried to provide some perhaps... Uh, engender some interest on her part. 
And uh, what I what I realized is that my oratorical skills are somehow missing and not very effective when the demographic is six year old girls. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so you know, per, you know, perhaps my, not unlike my sense of humor. I may have a singular wit. I may have a singular intellect that only appeals to one person. But um, so, yes, I do try to. It is annoying traveling with a history teacher because uh, every moment is spent uh, trying to eke out a better understanding of the people and the places around you. And sometimes people just want to see the place around them. And so, um, so yeah, it can be quite annoying. What's it like? Uh, what's it like with a music teacher? <laughs> um, I don't know. We're, we're listening to we don't listen to music while we're driving. It's usually people are, are staring at their phones and doing their thing. And I'm alone in my thoughts. Um, but I do drive all the time. Like you, um, I, I'm, you don't I'm, listen to music when you're driving. Um, not with the, 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 the family I do by myself. Absolutely. But you know, it would okay. be distracting because people have their headphones on listening to other things. Um, so I'm, I'm just happy with the, the, the quiet, but I'm not one to, to stop the car unless you know, I have to pull over for a, um, emergency use of a restroom or something. But, um, beyond that, I don't like to stop. So if, if there's a historical marker, I'm, I'll go over begrudgingly, but usually I, I want to just get to my destination, which is the hotel and the restaurant and, and in that order. You were in a historical reprobate. You understand that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're insulting me because I want to get to my destination on time and, and have a nice dinner with my family. Don't you understand that it is the journey, not the destination, that is indeed the most important thing, both in travel and in life, here, Dr. Bourgeois. <laughs> the, the pursuit and never the arrest. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle and never the accomplishment. And then what Nietzsche referred to. Uh, I don't think the I, idea this is a struggle. It is not, it is not trying to achieve something or having achieved something for that just makes man contemptible. But is it not the struggle? Maybe you're right, Ross. Maybe I, I need to change my driving habits <laughs> after hearing you. If I ever decide to drive up to Minnesota, um, I'll, I'll stop and look at whatever you looked at. I'm going to trace your steps. That's what I'll do. I'll say, Ross was here. I, I'll create, I'll create a, a travel blog. Here's something to think about. And I wonder if you do this. When you go into small towns, every time I go into small towns, and God knows I went through my share in these past week, going through rural, some people say that's an oxymoron, as if there's an urban South Dakota or an urban North Dakota. But I was driving through rural South Dakota, rural North Dakota. And every time I go into small towns, I wonder what it's like to teach in those kinds of schools, presumably with not as much money, with not the resources, with not the various gizmos and gadgets that uh, say the urban schools that we have taught in or suburban schools that we have also taught in. Does that ever uh, occur to you? And where do you see money as a component to the success of a school? Well, um, you, does it play a role? Um, you'd think it would. I mean, I, I've done a little research on that, and the 
it doesn't make as much difference uh, as a lot of things. I mean, the money that matters is the income of the parents uh, as opposed to the amount of money spent per student. Um, but I, you know, so I, I can imagine some of those schools being relatively strong you know, if they have uh, students who are at the same level of each other and not these huge gaps. That's what makes it tricky. But, you know, I think we would romanticize it, you know, being, oh, here's uh, Mr. Miller who, who teaches history and is also the basketball coach and the offensive line coach, you know, and, um, and then meeting your, your principal in, on the weekend, you know, at the general store or something. Hi, Bill, how are you? Um, <laughs> but um, it, it would probably become like a grating noise in, in a short time, I'm guessing, just, just because of, you know, running into the same group of people the whole time and the, the town, everyone knows each other and so forth. So I, I think I, I like the idea of it, but I, I know I would probably want to turn that car right around, you know, after, after a few months. I'm always curious because you've, you hear, and I don't know if you've, you've heard this particular tidbit of educational information, but that the states that tend to do poorest, uh, if that's a word, um, on various state assessments, again, we've questioned whether, you know, the, the legitimacy of that kind of a, uh, evaluation, but the people who tend to do most poorly are school districts where and states where the most money is spent. You're saying, they're you know, doing and for us, they're doing the worst. Yes. And, and that the states that tend to do the best have, you know, have the least amount of money to spend or spend the least amount of money. And you can break it down in kind of like a stereotypical sort of way where you say that the states who spend the least amount of money, teachers are forced to be more creative. That creates a more vibrant classroom. You know, you have students that are much more connected to the teacher. Their parents are much more connected to the teachers. Perhaps that provides a level of uh, motivation for the students to make sure they're taking care of business. I don't know. I, 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 my sense of it is, is that money is, is a double-edged sword. What it can do is it provides opportunities. But what it also does is it provides a lot of waste and a lot of um, uh, bad decisions and things not really spent on the product, more on tangential stuff. How do you see that? Well, you can look at teacher salaries across state lines, and there's a, uh, quite a difference. Um, mm. I mean, as, as you drive you know, towards Texas and you pass through Oklahoma, you know, the salaries are going to jump when you cross into Texas, you know, substantially. Mm. Um, so, so there, there's something about that, you know, that you could potentially pay teachers more, um, retain the, the, the better teachers. But I think what you're getting at is, is spending on facilities and uh, thing, things like that. And you know, I think what we've talked about in, in this show is that it, it's, it's more about the, the teacher than, than the bells and whistles. And, and I, I would say that, but as far as, you know, the performance, performance of states, it's really difficult because, I mean, if you look at Texas, you have these incredible urban centers that have really poor areas and really, you know, historically wealthy areas within that. And then, and then you have rural districts that are relatively poor and struggling for resources. So it's, it's just so confusing to say, well, we're in Texas now and here's how our students do. There are, mm -hmm. there are about 10 different groups within Texas that are almost independent of each other. So it's, it's just hard to measure. 
I think we're, you know, when you went through North and South Dakota, I think they're relatively similar across the state, except for maybe the one or two bigger cities. Right. Well, I think about, there's a, there's an obvious mental leap that most people take that says where more money is spent, more results are achieved. Uh, but sometimes that can bite people. You know, I don't recall, we both read this, but I don't recall where, and perhaps you can provide some, um, perhaps you can provide some, um, uh, some kind of backdrop here. But um, we were reading Neil Postman and he talked about the idea of a uh, New York City schools spending millions of dollars in a computer program where kids could do math at home at any time they want. And that part of the advertisement for the program was that if a kid woke up at two o'clock in the morning, they could do math if they wanted to. And he suggested that if the kid is not interested in math, the fact that he can do it at two in the morning is not going to interest him any more than if he didn't have it to do at two in the If he was going to do it, he was going to do it. And for those who were going to do it, they don't need the computer program to motivate them. Kids who are inclined to do math at two in the morning to me, that's a mental illness, but whatever. But I mean, if you're going to do math at two in the morning, then you don't need a computer program to kind of encourage that. And so what money does is it encourages money spent just for the sake of money being spent and not always as the aftermath of a lot of questions being asked. There's a lot of things that can, that are, you know, I would call them influences on a, on a, on students' achievement and performance in school. And, and a lot of them we, we assume make a, a positive effect. You know, you know, spending is, is one of them. Uh, there are whole industries that are dependent on that argument um, within education. But um, one of the interventions that, you know, we, we talk about a lot is, is technology and spend money on infrastructure so that you can have one-to-one computer and, and internet and, and all these programs that go with it. Um, but, you know, looking at, I'm, I'm referring to this researcher named John Hattie, who does, who looks at all these different influences and effects and, you know, tech, technology is not that, that high on that list. It's, it's, it's relatively low. Um, but the things that do matter are our teachers and specifically their um, confidence in each other, that, that they can work as a team and, and be, successful. Um, so I would say that the, the, the money does matter, but where you allocate it and you know, putting it towards salaries of, of, of teachers seems like a, a really good idea on, on so many levels. Um, but it's, I think you're right. It's easy to get distracted from what, what actually works to what we think should work. Mm. Do you find much difference? I mean, to what extent are you aware with how German schools choose to spend money? What do they tend to focus on? What is what? What do they tend to emphasize when they have the money to spend? I would, as a point of contrast. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I haven't, you know, studied this specifically as far as I, we 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 know that their salaries in in Germany are are rather high. I mean, mm. dramatically compared, and and also their retirement. I mean, they have a living retirement, meaning they make pretty much what they made uh, while they were right. teaching. So, that, so all of that has to be put into the ex, the costs of you know of personnel. And so, I would suggest that the personnel costs are a 
much you know higher proportion percentage of, of the overall budget that, than here. Um, but facilities, um, there are a lot of older schools. I mean, most of the schools we've visited in, in Germany have been around forever. Right. And and so they're they're not high on, on technology from you know they 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 look not that different from when we visited those same schools twenty years ago. Um, so so I, I, yeah, I mean to be fair to be fair that's a big debate now. The idea and and a lot of this came out of course out of COVID and distance learning and what have you. The degree yeah. to which um, uh, what's the expression in German uh, digital zero? Uh, the idea of increasing you know a, a greater sense of digitization within the schools. Um, and the there's a debate as to one, whether that should be, or two, should we be stepping back from it? And um, they, if you recall, the one time I got in a discussion with somebody online <laughs> on LinkedIn uh, about the idea of, 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 uh, uh, of, um, you know, technology, and I and I simply said something to the effect is that I, I do not think that technology possesses all the attributes that we are seem to be so quick to attribute to it. And I said, at the very least, I think we should be asking questions. And that met with a resounding rejection. Uh, there shall be no questions. Uh, you, you are not, getting you're getting hate mail from from Germans <laughs> again. It seems to happen all. Yeah. I uh, tell you, but but probably there's a divide. Um, in in Germany, with the older teachers, most likely you would think, could right. be totally wrong. Um, but here, you know, we, as in the two of us, and anybody else out there who may agree with us, we we've lost that battle uh, resoundingly. I, I would say. Mm. Well, I, I think the degree to which schools avail themselves of different technologies, different technological programs, different technological strategies. I mean, it's downright promiscuous. And I, I, I don't understand, I don't understand, you know, why there is not even a scintilla of questions that are being asked uh, in order to find out, one, whether it's a good idea. Uh, but certainly, it, it, we have lost the battle in the sense that it seems like a lot of people are just taking it as a given that, all technology is good technology. And if you ever try to press somebody, like an administrator or a young teacher who's applying for a job, what the what the downside to a technology is, they will say almost as if they're saying it begrudgingly. Well, it could be a distraction. It can. It could. I mean, it just seems like it seems like it's the greatest understatement uh, in world history. Uh, uh, you know, Genghis Khan could come up into China or <laughs> Russia or whatever case may be. I, I just think it's, uh, you know, that kind of thinking is wrapped in with the money and is wrapped in with this kind of idealized notion of what the future is going to be. And and that that's what drives this boat. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've lost this argument. Maybe there will be a swing back to the other direction, or at least at the very least, a kind of an equalization of it. Well, I mean, we we wrote about this, and and at some point we will release our book where there's a nice fat chapter on technology where we try to make some counter arguments. Um, but the infrastructure has been laid by some real um, wealthy people, and, mm. and you you wonder way back when you know when uh, these companies like Microsoft and Apple they were giving all these computers away to schools, 
and and and, and incredible amounts of money flowing in uh, to make themselves in, indispensable. So it was very effective. Um, what happened? I mean, we went through it all. There, you know, there was a time when we didn't have internet in the, in the schools, and, and and maybe we had a, a little, you know, we had a computer that was offline that could do a few things, and mm-hmm. uh, but it progressed so quickly. Um, so it's it's. I would say it's out of the bottle, but it, it doesn't mean that we can't have the conversation because at some point there there's a either a positive or a negative negative effect on on students. Um, you have to ask if 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 uh, if schools are not going to spend as much money on technology, where does it then go? You know, there there's a school nearby us who spent a boatload of money just to make the place look nicer. And I remember having an argument with the uh, with the principal, saying that listen. Because he was talking about like movable walls and like glass walls and like di- different multicolors, like the old seventies Astros uniforms, I guess, or something like that. Just a, just a, you know, a, 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 a splattering of color all over the place. I said, "Listen, you can have all the splattering of colors you want. If the relationship between the students and the teachers are not jiving, you can your walls can be as malleable as you want them to be, but they're not going to achieve anything, you know." And if their relationship is sound, it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't matter. You could be in a concrete cinder block uh, Reagan era classroom, and you're still going to have the same great results if the relationship between a teacher and a student is sound. So the principal thanked you for that and decided to stop the construction. <laughs> he had bigger bosses to answer to. <laughs> That's usually, usually the case. Um, so he was he was nice enough to say you have some very interesting ideas. I think as 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 far as his considerations went, and then he, then he turned turned and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> he sh- shook your hand and that's all he said. <laughs> I was li- I was I was searching for that lyric. I couldn't remember it. I'm glad you well, did. So I didn't deliver it very well. I rarely do. I don't have the <laughs> comic timing this late at night. Um now in, in Minnesota, it's probably it's an hour later, right? Um no, no, no. It's the same time period. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I thought it's not until you it's not until you cross the Missouri River that you get into mountain time zones in the Dakotas, you know. East of that, it's all Central Time Zone, of course. Until I don't know where, but um, of course, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> um, now I do, Hair Miller. Uh, <laughs> so you're you're traveling back from Minnesota, and next time we talk, you'll have all kinds of stories to tell, all kinds of stories to tell, and um, and of course, you know, I, I've been sharing pictures with you. I had the famous Juicy Lucy Burger tonight. That's a, a good way to close out as we play the. The theme music. Tell us, please, as quickly as possible, um, what is a juicy Lucy, Hair Miller? We basically take a hamburger patty and 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 place uh, some kind of cheese in the middle of it, bowl it up, flatten it back out again, cook it, and then what you get is akin to a jelly donut. Um, it's a very messy uh, sort of thing, and I'm not keen on messy food, but when in Rome, you do as the Romans do, and so. I had a juicy Lucy tonight. Um, now the picture had bacon on it, if I remember. On the on yes. The, um, so you enjoyed it because I mean, I've I've seen that burger on 
diners, drive-ins, and dives, and I thought it looks like about the best thing ever. Uh, was it that good? It's pretty good. It, it, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, we, uh, but um, I, I don't think I would go for it in any other circumstance. But it's the most famous burger in Minnesota. It seems rather criminal not to at least try the food. Um, and so, you know, not unlike Chicago, you know, it's not pizza, but it's pretty darn tasty. You know, I think it's the same thing here. I mean, it's it's not advisable, but it's still pretty tasty to have cheese melted inside your patty. So there you go. Okay, you're coming along. Um, you're, you're mellowing out in your old age. Well, I'm also old and tired right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, this is a, a, exciting. Thank you for taking the time in, in your busy trip to get on on the call here, Herr Miller. Why? Well, I'm glad to be here live from Minneapolis. Uh, I look forward to talking to you until next weekend, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. All right, Herr Miller, until Next weekend, I, I was surprised you didn't bring up Mary Tyler Moore or something during this. I had I had I had I did have the idea of, of buying a beret just to throw it into the air. You know, uh, of course, I was more a Rhoda gal, but uh, Mary Tyler Moore works too, so uh, we'll go with that. I took a shot at that because I I didn't want to. I thought I was a little bit older than you, but apparently we watched the same shows, so that's during our formative <laughs> years. I actually did think about trying to find, you know, in the opening sequence when she steps out of the building and she kind of, I was, I wanted to see if I could find where exactly that building is. And I'm not sure I do know, but I mean, I, it would be fun to find it though. I'm sure it will. I'm sure your wife will enjoy standing there. <laughs> well, on that happy note, again, Alfredo Zane, Alfredo Heron, Herr Miller. It's next to smile, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs>